Celebrating 100 episodes, this is .mil Docs, the Military Health System's official podcast. It's Thursday, March 4th, 2010, and I'm Russell Carlson. Yes, this is the 100th episode of the .mil Docs podcast. The Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs began this program in May of 2008. And here we are less than two years later celebrating 100 episodes. You can celebrate with us by checking out the MHS blog at health.mil where we feature past .mildocs podcasts with especially notable guests and topics. If you are a longtime listener, thank you for letting us share our stories with you. And if you are tuning in for the first time, we hope you'll continue to do so for the next 100 episodes. As always, your feedback is appreciated. Feel free to drop us a line at .mildocs at tma.osd.mil. And if you haven't subscribed to be notified of the podcast every time we make a new one, you can do that at health.mil. Just hit the subscribe for email updates link near the top of the homepage. Let's get down to business. It is Brain Injury Awareness Month here in the military health system. Visit health.mil slash brain injury for more information and please visit health.mil throughout the month for articles, videos, and more podcasts on the topic of brain injury. Appropriately, our guest on this week's program is Dr. James Kelly. Dr. Kelly has been appointed director of the new National Intrepid Center of Excellence being built in Bethesda, Maryland, adjacent to the new Walter Reed. The Intrepid Center will aid members of the military who are experiencing psychological health issues and traumatic brain injury. Dr. Kelly is on the line to talk about brain injury, specifically concussion. Uh, what are the symptoms and what are the treatments? Dr. Kelly, welcome to Dot Mill Docs. Thank you very much. Uh, Could you start just by talking about who you are and what you do? Well, my name is James Kelly. I'm a neurologist, uh, and for uh, a full year now, I've been the director of the National Intrepid Center of Excellence, um, which is being built now um, as a facility at the uh, what's called Bethesda Naval Hospital. It's the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda. Uh, and we'll, um, when it opens this summer, we'll uh, have a complement of ultimately 90 personnel. It'll be a treatment and research and training and education uh, site um, and uh, for our service members who return from uh, war experience with traumatic brain injury and psychological health uh, concerns. Uh, it will be uh, also available for veterans who are referred uh, but its primary mission is that with uh, active duty service members. Okay, let's talk about concussion. What exactly is a concussion? Well, a concussion is actually a, a trauma, biomechanical trauma, to the brain. It's usually associated with a movement of the head or a direct blow to the head that causes an alteration in neurological function. Usually that function is mental function, mental status function, at the very mildest end of the spectrum. It can produce much more severe neurological harm to the brain, anatomical injury that's lasting, and so forth, and that's beyond concussion. So that's in the spectrum of traumatic brain injury, but more at the severe end. Mild traumatic brain injury or concussion is usually an alteration in mental status, uh, either with uh, brief confusion, sometimes with a gap in memory uh, uh, or amnesia, as it's called, or a true coma, very briefly, a loss of consciousness. 
but in mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, it tends to be a very brief, momentary loss of conscious consciousness. It wouldn't be protracted in time. Can someone have a concussion if he or she was not knocked out? That's, that's a very important uh, thing uh, for us all to know, and the answer is yes. In fact, in most mild traumatic brain injury, uh, it, uh, it occurs without the, the coma that I mentioned, the, the loss of consciousness. So, for instance, in the sports world, um, roughly uh, 80%, let's say, of college football players who have a diagnosed concussion in a game or a practice are not rendered unconscious or even have a gap in their memory. They actually have a stunning blow that causes a confusional state, being dazed or whatever, disoriented perhaps, or some other symptoms that, that come up quickly like um, balance problems or, or uh, problems with uh, um, headache and so forth. So physical symptoms can occur even without having been rendered unconscious, and you can certainly have trauma to the brain as an organ without having been rendered unconscious. So what are the common symptoms of concussion? The, the earliest symptom that people are aware of uh, is that kind of confusional state that they'll report or feeling disoriented. But then <clears throat> physically, bodily, what they experience in most cases is, is a headache or at least a head pain. So in surveys that are done early on, so right after a concussion on a sideline or wherever you're actually seeing somebody within seconds and minutes, they're aware of pain in the head. Then uh, people often have difficulty with um, stumbling and, and coordination uh, problems that can be seen. They have difficulty tracking what's happening around them. Um, and then that can uh, evolve into other things over hours and, and days so that they have difficulty remembering things or, or concentrating. Uh, they have difficulty um, uh, with bright lights. They can't tolerate that or loud noises. That's very common. And so over more days than not uncommonly is a sleep problem, a sleep disturbance that evolves. People... Early on, after a concussion for the first day or two, will sleep too much often, and then uh, or feel drowsy and groggy, and then within days that evolves into a difficulty with getting through the night uh, and getting restful sleep. So they bounce up in the middle of the night, um, and we're not exactly sure why that happened. But those symptoms change over time. It's not just one set of symptoms that starts right at the time of the concussion and stays the same. It goes through a kind of an evolution and change over time. What about effective treatments for concussion? Are there any? There are. Uh, the very first um, treatment that we have, of course, is making the proper diagnosis and making sure that that individual is out of harm's way. So there's a, a kind of an intervention that's a treatment, getting that person into a safe place uh, and then early on, making sure that the amount of stimulus that that person is exposed to is reduced. We can, we can see very clearly that if we push people back into what they were doing too early and rev up the metabolic demand of the brain, we actually worsen things. So the treatment has to be a very simple environmental or behavioral one where that individual is not pushed to go back to what they were doing at a high intensity. 
um, right away, that there's a, there's a cooling off period, if you will. And so that treatment is the most important. The next is treating the simple symptoms. So early on, the headache, the, the truly miserable feeling people have is treated easily by simple analgesics like uh, a Tylenol would be the brand name of acetaminophen. Something like that would be safe and useful early on. And as soon as other problems arise with sleep disturbance, we offer sleeping medication in the next few days to help them get restful sleep so that they don't have sleep deprivation on top of the concussion effect. And so they they really do get restful, rejuvenating sleep as soon as possible. So reducing the environmental stimulus and the demand on the brain, treating simple bodily symptoms, and making sure they don't get into a sleep disturbance pattern is, uh, is really the best treatment uh, approach early on. Down the road, in terms of concussive symptoms, we still look at those same bodily symptoms, but it could be months or even a year later if somebody still has post-concussion syndrome as it evolves. The treatments then really are more cognitive, so there's actually a therapy that helps people uh, get better at attention and concentration and short-term memory skills. It also helps them in reducing the kind of uh, stimulation that they're bombarded by and helps them focus. And so there are a whole variety of things we can do to help people get better even after they've had symptoms for a long span of time. We are going to take a quick break for the .mildoc's health beat, news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll have more with Dr. Kelly. .mildoc's health beat. Today we are celebrating the 100th episode of Dot Mill Docs. Did you know that since the program started in May 2008, we have had over 108,000 downloads? In September 2009, we transferred from a live show to a pre-recorded one that is produced in-house by a team dedicated to bringing interviews with top medical experts to our audience weekly. Since then, we have enjoyed hosting such guests as Ellen Embry, formerly performing the duties of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Rear Admiral Christine Hunter, Deputy Director of TRICARE, and Dinah Cohen, Director of the Computer Electronic Accommodations Program. You can find all these episodes and more by going to health.mil, clicking News and Multimedia, and then choosing .mil Docs. Speaking of health.mil, you may have noticed some changes last time you logged on. Health.mil has been completely redesigned and relaunched. All the same information is there, from videos to news articles, from .mil docs to the MHS blog, MHS Vital Signs, and MHS Profiles. You might be wondering why we've redesigned the website. Well, we have you to thank for this new site design. We use the feedback you've given us over the years to redesign and make this site better, easier to navigate and easier for you to find the information which you're looking for. Thank you for letting us know where we've succeeded and where we could improve. Your feedback has helped us shape the new health.mil so that it is better organized, better looking, and more seamlessly integrated with our social media effort. Even with all these changes, health.mil continues to be updated daily with all the latest news and information from the military health system. Log on to stay up to date. This has been your .mil docs health beat. For the military health system, I'm Elizabeth mcleary Kill lockwood Welcome back to the 100th episode of .mil Docs. Today, Dr. James Kelly of the National Intrepid Center of Excellence is talking with us about brain injury. How does the military screen service members for concussion when they've been exposed to a bomb blast? The current scenario is getting actually much more well-defined and tighter. The idea of what happens right when a bomb goes off is now formalized, and there's a a protocol that's being introduced into the war theater zones where if a bomb blast goes off, 
that within a defined radius of, of, of the, the bomb itself, individuals are screened for any of the symptoms that we know are part of what happens when a concussion occurs. If, in fact, somebody has symptoms, then they're followed up, they're watched closely, they're dealt with by the uh, medics or corpsmen, and addressed under the circumstances as having been uh, at least suspected of having a mild traumatic brain injury, and they're watched very closely. If, in fact, they need treatment, then they're aimed in those directions as well. If individuals don't have symptoms right away or they go right back into the into the, the fight, so to speak, or if they don't feel like they have a problem until days later related to a blast, then we have more of a screening process that people have to go through in theater, uh, in, the, in the settings that they're in, and or back home when they finally come back home. There's a very formal post-deployment screening process that people go through that is intended to pick up on whether they had symptoms of a concussion at any time during that uh, deployment. So there are multiple stages that that is done. Also, then, of course, when someone leaves the military and obtains health care in the veteran system, they have in place uh, an additional screening process so that there's the, uh, the formal uh, screening that's done simply by paper and pencil, and then if somebody looks like they may have had a concussion and are still having problems, they actually go to a clinician and have an interview and go through a formal second stage to determine whether they need help and intervention in that VA system. So there are multiple places along the, the path, so to speak, uh, where screening and diagnostic uh, testing can be done and interventions can be offered. Okay, now I've seen this reported in the news. Is it true that people who sustain multiple mild blows to the head like um, such as you might get in a professional football career, um, without ever having been diagnosed a concussion, can these people suffer a mental decline from what they're calling chronic traumatic encephalopathy, if I'm pronouncing that correctly? Right. That, that's, um, that's one of the questions that we're all being faced with right now. Um, it is really a very important one for us to, to figure out. And I don't pretend to know the, the answer at this point, but I think it's one of those that the military will help along with the sports world in coming up with an answer. The, the question really derives from uh, boxing, the brains of, of, of boxers who've had long professional careers. There's very good evidence, and there has been for you know, since the 70s, the 1970s, that um, the longer somebody has a pro-boxing career, the more likely there is brain injury. Even if somebody wasn't rendered unconscious such that they were hospitalized, even if they didn't require any kind of neurosurgical procedure, those individuals who box for a long time and have multiple blows to the head run the risk of what's called, and that's how the term came up, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The question then arises, is that also true for football players who have blows to the head, albeit with a helmet in, uh, on during their entire careers? And the question has been raised by some very capable people that, that suggest that that may be the case. Now, I think the scientific community is, is still weighing that. I don't think that the jury's in with a decision as to whether that for sure is happening. 
But I'll tell you that the, the, the sports world is paying very close attention to that right now, as is the military in terms of careers of individuals that we have with repeated exposures to concussive injuries from whatever. Uh, and so I think that the military and the sports community together will come up with an answer ultimately to that question. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for being on the program this week. My pleasure. Thank you for asking. That does it for us this week on Dot Mill Docs. Again, thanks for celebrating 100 episodes of the show with us. We will return with episode 101 next week when Brain Injury Awareness Month continues. Our guest will be Air Force Colonel Michael S. Jaffe. Colonel Jaffe is the National Director of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, a.k.a. DivBIC. He'll talk with us about how DivBic is helping warriors suffering brain injury issues. Until then, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. Mill Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at dotmildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes.